Hello and welcome to Game and Watch with Aaron and James, the show where we talk about shows and movies we've been watching and games we've been gaming. Uh, I am Aaron and I'm James. And today we're talking about a film. We're talking about a new newer film. Um, we is it talking, the newest one we've done? Uh, I thought you were going to say, is it the newest one in this series? And I was going <laughs> to say it is the only one and it's not a series. It's very much a standalone film. Maybe maybe would we watch the series can be something we discuss later. If it became I could one. see I could see like a like a Showtime uh, premiere cable oh. series. Oh, see, I was thinking of a film series like a like a Conjuring Universe type. Oh, like a St. Maude 2 electric boogaloo. That's, yeah, that's more of what I meant. Okay. I was thinking like a prestige series that goes on for like three seasons and gets uh, canceled disappointingly. Oh, I was, man, you really, I hope you're you're not optimistic for something like that. You got to set that bar higher. I had the whole arc in my head. Oh, well, let's talk about that. What are we talking about? Sorry for interrupting. Uh, As I said, St. Maude. Oh. I so, forgot you said it. Yeah, I, I really did. I thought it was just talking over you like an asshole. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was a fun movie. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's relatively short. Um, it, you, it's safe to say it's a psychological horror film, would you say? Yeah, and when I say fun, I mean fun for people who like horror movies. Yeah, it's also got that fun of like seeing a person lose their mind, uh, which is a specific kind of fun that I enjoy. Yeah, your favorite, your favorite pastime. Yeah, yeah. Well, this was good. Uh, it is. It is a good film. Um, this is a film that was released in 2019. Um, it was written and directed by Rose Glass, who is a name that I have not heard of. I believe that she is an up and coming uh, yeah, filmmaker. I think this was her first film. Yeah, uh, it has a relatively small budget. Um, no, like, huge names, but I think everyone is thoroughly uh, good in this film. Yeah. Um, Morfid Clark, I think is how you pronounce her name. Moifid? Morfid? I don't know. Um, she plays yeah, Maude, and then Jennifer Ellie, L, I don't know, um, plays the character Amanda. Well, so, so she's notable... There's 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 a movie she's in that I just I cannot remember at all like like a, a notable movie but the the only thing I know her as as is the daughter of the woman who plays Aunt May in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. I don't know how I know that, but I don't know what movie she's in. I, and I that's it's fairly like it's rare where I I can't remember when like a movie that someone is in. Interesting. I can't I can't picture one. Um I might pull up her wiki in a few seconds. Uh, well, um, while you do that. Yeah. Um, so St. Maude is an original screenplay uh, written by Rose Glass. Um, she got the idea in 2014. Uh, the film, the idea around it uh, kind of started with her liking the idea of someone who hears God's voice in their own head and kind of uh, transforms and like falls in love uh, with, with the God in, in their head. Yeah. Um, and then from there, learn more about, you know, caseworkers and social workers and things like that. Um, and it, it has a lot of themes in terms of, you know, self-transformation and health uh, and religion yeah. and the end of class. one's life. Yeah. The end of one's life. Mortality. Um, 
yeah, all that good stuff. And so Rose Glass sort of put that all into um, the screenplay, yep. um, which she then directed. Also, this film um, was in part funded through the British Film Institute, I believe. Yes. Um, along with uh, some other production companies. So making it essentially like an amateur film that got like picked up and given relatively robust funding. Uh, I think I see the budget was around one and a half million dollars. But if you're like a struggling student filmmaker or amateur filmmaker, uh, that's pretty crazy. I am glad that Rose Glass got the chance to make this. I think it shows that she is extremely talented uh, and I am very excited for what she does next. Yeah, I I was getting a... And this might have just been fabricated in my own mind. I was getting somewhat like Ari Aster type vibes and just that I kept imagining her coming strong out of the gate and having a really solid follow-up. Maybe you call it a horror movie, maybe not. She just, there's a lot of elements of St. Maud that prove that Rose Glass is a extremely capable uh, writer-director. So I'm, I'm very excited to see what she does next. Yeah, the Ari Aster comparison is a good one. Um, and like Ari Aster, I kind of want to see if she has uh, some student films or some smaller films Yes, um, that I can maybe go check out. Uh, like Ari Aster, from the little bit of research I did, it seems like she just really had this central idea that she uh, was kind of in love with and mm-hmm. kind of did what she could to make it work. Much like Hereditary, which Ari Aster uh, kind of had the idea for initially, uh, but originally envisioned it as a family drama, not a supernatural horror film, yeah. um, which is, I believe, kind of how this happened. She kind of fell in love with the idea of a woman talking to God and falling in love with God in her head. And then it kind of became uh, became this, which is uh, much more kind of horror leaning. Yeah. Um, critics loved it. Um, it got very good reviews out of the gate um pretty pretty solid reviews eights nines tens uh you know you know high b's low a scores um the actors a couple of them won some awards for acting um it did make huge waves it wasn't nominated for an academy award or anything like that um but definitely uh made a name for itself i meant to look this up before we recorded but i i as when i was looking through the wiki to make sure he didn't miss anything like you know there was a there's a comment about how uh, Danny Boyle talked about the movie and gave it praise. And I know that over the last year, cause this movie has been out for about a year. Um, I know I read on Twitter praise. I follow a lot of like directors and actors and I, I know I saw a handful of notable celebrities call this movie out as something that people should check out. And I, I wish I knew who that was off the top of my head. Um, yeah. yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I feel like anyone who's kind of hip and in the know in in the industry um, would see this and you know realize these are actors you probably want to work with. This is director, writer you probably want to be working with. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, I watched this movie. Uh, you know, I hadn't seen it before. Um, I had kind of only heard vague good things about it from people uh, and had like seen, you know, here and there, maybe some reviews. Yep. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed it for a number of reasons that we'll kind of talk about when we get to the what works uh, section. But uh, my initial impression was, yeah, Ari Aster vibes, hereditary vibes. Um, Not at all necessarily even because of the plot, but just uh, the focus on character, uh, the more subdued tone um, and a lot of the uh, directorial 
choices um, yeah. in terms of like shot composition. Um, it's a lot of like slow, steady shots. It's a lot of like lingering shots. Um, and I, I, overall, I, I really, really like the film. I think it's worth seeing. Um, I don't think it's quite as strong as something like a Hereditary or Mel. Or, I'm sorry, not Melancholia. Melancholia is also a good movie. That is a, good, a strong, great movie. I don't think it's as strong as that. But um, Midsummer, Midsummer, Hereditary. I don't think it's as strong as those two. Yeah. Um, but I, I was definitely getting vibes of those. Yeah, same. And maybe we should do Melancholia sometime. I would love to do Melancholia. That'd be. I, I've been looking for a reason to rewatch it. Um, yeah. It's as as. Not to, as a quick tangent, it's a very hard movie to try to be get in the mood to rewatch. Um, yeah, I mean, it's more accessible than a lot of his other films, but that's, true. that's a discussion for another day. Yeah, and 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 I, I echo what you're saying um, pretty much across the board about liking the movie. I mean, I, I had, had watched it. It had been on my radar for a while, and you, you know, asking if we could do it for the podcast was really like the catalyst to watch it. Um yeah, definitely liked it. Um, any Ari Aster type, hereditary type comparisons I may make is is not to diminish at all the singular kind of choices and talents that that you know that this director makes and has. Um, it's a very different movie. I mean, there's not, it's not like a hereditary clone by any means. I don't want to give the wrong impression. It's just it kind of just probably because it's an early, you know, it's it's a debut by a young talented filmmaker in the horror genre it just it kind of draws those types of comparisons but i, I think this is very much its own thing yeah definitely i i wouldn't um yeah i think stylistically it, in terms of tone it it's similar but yeah it's certainly not a clone and any comparisons we make are uh probably glowing too you know if we're comparing this to hereditary that's a film we both really enjoy yep. um and it really says nothing but good things about uh about this film yep so start us off who is this kook maud and what what is she up to so maud is a hospice nurse that lives in a seaside english town which i think through voiceover she might describe as a dump um or something of that nature. Uh, I think it's important to note, I guess, without diving just yet into the, the actual plot, but the, in Maud is a, um, she, you get a glimpse of the very first shot of the movie that of her, kind of, I think it's, it's her sobbing in a corner um, with a dead body on a gurney that she presumably killed as a nurse. We find a little bit more about what later, what happened later. Um, but I think we're meant to, to assume at first, and then it's confirmed later that she failed to save a patient while performing CPR. Well, yeah, let's camp out on that for a moment because yeah. I, 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 sorry. Um, did you hear that? Hear what? <laughs> Never mind. Okay. Um, let's camp out on that for a moment because we, we do find out later, we can talk about, uh, the details kind of, uh, later, but just in terms yeah. of shot composition, I wasn't sure if what she says later was the truth or a lie because I had a really hard time reconciling the story she tells later with the scene that we see, okay. uh, we see a, a darkened, uh, hospital room and a woman like kind of half off the bed as you said there's uh there's like blood uh running yep. Maud is in the corner bloody um hands bloody hands and the woman is is like backwards on the bed from where she would normally be in a hospital 
Um, okay. I don't. I really don't understand how she died after Maud's failed CPR attempt. Uh, well, and so something that there's something that happens later where there's a a shot that's happening in Maud's imagination about breaking someone's ribs while pressing down too hard doing CPR. Um, which, which is, is something, the thing, which is something that happens. It, it does happen. I mean, it, it's very exaggeratedly violent when it does happen. Kind of when she has that vision of it happening, but that got me thinking that that is what happened. That's how this patient died. And even I think it might leave room for the possibility that what we f- finally understand to be happening to Maud that kind of puts her onto a more religious path is something that may have been prompted by possession that maybe, maybe something caused her to kill, to use excessive strength and kill this patient. I think it, the movie leaves it a little bit open-ended, but I've, I always assume that at a minimum, she did in fact in real life, you know, in the, the real world of the movie, kill a patient by breaking their ribs doing CPR. I, I, I agree that that's the reality. I just later was wondering if maybe what we are seeing is like her memory of it versus the reality. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I, kind of was kicking it around my head and waiting to see what you so thought. So I do I do I do like the thought of that though. Like the the first shot she's in this very just disgusting looking hospital room. The kind of like hospital room that you would see in like a Silent Hill 2 type movie or like a you know an, a, like in a, a an asylum like a B movie set in an asylum somewhere. It's just a disgusting room and I think she looks up and there's like a shot of the corn. It's like the corner of the ceiling with the, you know, with the, with the two edges and the vertex kind of like centered at the, in the screen or something like that. And there's a cockroach yes. crawling on the ceiling, which that, that gets, you know, the, the movie revisits that too. But um, it's, it's, a, it's a almost like exaggerated, it gives like a little bit of a horror element to a hospital setting that I, you know, if you had to say like, do you think that that's the room that this actually happened? You know, I'd see, say there's a good argument for no, it's not. This is just how she remembers it. Yeah. I was really waiting for um, like, why were there no other doctors or nurses? I was waiting for like a doctor run in and be like, Oh, get out of here or something. But yeah, it has a very surreal dreamlike quality. Yeah. Um, I, I don't really think that adds up to anything. I don't think I'm correct. I think it is literally what happened and they're showing you. Um, but just from the very beginning, I was kind of thrown off into like, is what we're seeing what's actually happening? Yeah. I think I think it ties back a little better with a cockroach at the end, but that's getting a bit ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Um, so after this death, uh, we kind of see Maud um, like going about her neighborhood, packing up, um, and entering uh, a new job. Um, and again, important to note that the, the voiceover, the narration we hear occasionally throughout the movie are Maud's prayers to God. Yes. Um, I have mixed feelings about the voiceover, but I'll find other times to talk about that other than right now, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, but Maud, we see, uh, she lives in a very small, very austere, like studio apartment, 
Um, we see her getting her things and heading to her new job. What's that new job? Yeah, a hospice nurse. She yes. is, and, and and I guess we should also know that she is, it's clear very quickly that she's converted to, I think, Catholicism. They, um, yeah, all the, all the research I did said Roman Catholicism. Um, and we can talk about this too, you know, a little bit now and later and what works and what doesn't, but uh, it's supposed to be Roman Catholicism. But the director slash writer also very specifically wanted to make her not um, like uh, like explicitly religious in terms of belonging to a religious community. Okay. Um, they she wanted it to be more about a personal experience with religion, which yeah. is why it seems that weird like cross purposes that it would be Roman Catholic, which is specifically a very organized group uh, form of Christianity. Um, with also this like uh, personal religious experience it seems odd to me yeah but it's supposed to be uh roman catholicism well while it's fresh on my mind now i want to hop on a little bit to something that i think works well jumping off of what you said is that i I find a a lot of religious movies it's like i feel like some directors some writer directors have, have a hard time staying away from the notion of a group religious mind like a cult in an extreme way and i love that this is really just her faith journey as disturbing as it is it's a very it's just her yeah and uh i think what makes that work is if she were part of a group that you could see was kind of pushing her and manipulating her there would be a lot of question as to whether like okay should we should we put our hard feelings on uh maude or should we put them on you know this religious group that she's part of um whereas this like for better or for worse the things that she does it's like pretty much mod and then maybe another player that we'll kind of talk about but it's 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 mod doing these things well and i don't i don't i think it's important to her background i don't think it's really stepping in too far into like spoiler territories that is that she we find out pretty quickly i think that she used to be named katie and she changed her name after she converted yes um and we'll we find out a little bit more about her past, but we'll, I guess, I think we can wait to talk about that when we meet the character who kind of brings that to the surface. Yes. Um, but yeah, so she goes to live with um, a patient named Amanda Cole, a woman who has terminal cancer, a pretty young woman, I would say. Like, she couldn't be more than like mid 50s. Uh, young and Maybe accomplished. Yeah. Let's say, well, let's say a couple things that will uh, explain kind of uh, Maud's feelings about her. But sure. she is young. Uh, she is accomplished. She is rich, uh, and she is beautiful. Yeah. Um, and kind of each of those things is a reason for Maud to both be drawn to her and kind of repel her. But also, I think Maud very quickly becomes drawn by the fact that amanda is seemingly an atheist um and and afraid of afraid of death which is a gold mine for for maude (laughs) um (laughs) and for dramatic potential and for dramatic potential without stepping much into cliche i think yes um yeah so so maude arrives and 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 meets amanda i think there's a comment made very early by amanda to uh to maude saying you're prettier than the last one and every time i hear like something like a comment like that i automatically start my guard goes up thinking like oh is this movie because i knew nothing about this movie going in all the better for it you know is this gonna be like a 
Amanda's killing all of her hospice nurses you know, kind of thing, you know, and I think I, I might've paid a little bit too much credit to that line. Cause I don't think that that was what was intended by that line at all. Well, uh, two things are kind of happen. Uh, when Maude comes in, the previous nurse is leaving on her way out and very yeah. quickly kind of tells him that, uh, I was going to say Meg, which is my sister-in-law. Uh, they are not the same, <laughs> uh, Meg and Maude. Uh, very different. Um, but the kind of just tells Maude where uh, Amanda is and then uh, basically calls her a very nasty word. Um, and uh, you can tell that they did not have a great relationship um, so, uh, it kind of tells you that uh, Amanda goes through nurses quickly, uh, and it's also a hint to her lesbianism and or bisexuality, um, yes. because Amanda prefers the company of ladies, as far she, as we can tell. As far as so, we can tell. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, we do see Amanda with a man kind of quickly, but it, it almost seemed a little bit friendly. That was like an old chum. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think it's, you know, she's got her preferences. That is that is for sure. Um, do you want to talk about the house really quick? I, and I only have a couple notes about the house itself. And, and it's not one of those movies like the house is a character. Um, although I think that there are some great shots of the house. I really like the th- house. It's shot in like tight frames that kind of don't let you get a good layout, which I like. I don't know if that was intentional. Um, yeah at, at least yeah. at first later on you kind of get a better idea of like the rooms um like you know amanda hosts the party later you see a little bit more but at least at first i couldn't get really a good layout on the house and i found that to be disarming um if that's the right word <laughs> that's i mean that's interesting yeah. because i had thoughts about the house as well that um aren't exactly along those lines but i definitely think the house is intentionally um kind of shown the way it is. So uh, Amanda's gentleman friend uh, tells her at a, at a point, like, why are you living here, right? This is kind of a small seaside town. Like she's a famous dance choreographer. She has money, like she could be in London if she wants to. She could be basically wherever she wants, but she's chosen to uh, die in this small seaside town. I kind of saw the house as an extension of Amanda uh, the house could look very bright and nice. And we see the house later during a party. It, the house still isn't like fully displayed the way it could be, but like True. it's very dark. The curtains are drawn. You can tell the house is very nice and has a lot of potential, um, but that it, it's kind of locked up and, you know, the curtains are drawn and things like that. Uh, much like Amanda has kind of willingly chosen this weird um, like self-imposed exile while she's dying. Um, she also is kind of not living up uh, to her best. Yeah. What do you? What are you? What are your? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I think yeah, sure. But yeah, the, the house is. <laughs> I don't. Frequent. I don't. I don't disagree. And I actually, I did use the wrong word. I went. It's not disarming. It's like quite the opposite. I. It made me just when you can't get a good layout of the house, it you know, it's a little bit. Um, Yes. And, and that, that is very true. You never fully get like a good layout of the house or, and I think it's supposed to disorient you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I can, I can, I can get behind what you said. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, so we got the male guest there, right? Yes. And we see that Amanda, uh, is drinking to excess. Uh, this is a thing that Amanda will frequently do. Um, she, 
she doesn't do a good job taking care of herself. Yeah. And, you know, um, Maud gets sent away while that man is there. And then he gets, she gets called back when Amanda starts to get sick. And Maud then puts Amanda to bed. And Amanda asks Maud to stay with her because she doesn't want to be alone. Um, Which, you know, is very, a very tempting reason to stay for Maud because Maud is, you know, I wouldn't say Maud is so desperate to share her faith and save a soul at immediately but it, i think that very quickly becomes the goal probably after this conversation um right because amanda questions her faith a little bit and asks if god speaks to her and maude describes god's presence in a very sexual way uh i don't think intentionally on maude's part but she, i think she describes it as like a, a warm pulsing feeling um, yeah, and something about production is that specifically Rose Glass uh, wanted to make Maud's religious experience uh, like a sensual, instinctual kind of thing, yes, instead of uh, a more like overt uh, physical one, um, which also kind of like in my mind plays with the idea of d- is Maud sexually attracted um, to Amanda? Do you think? Or do you think it's yes. kind of a manifestation of her like infatuation with God? I, I mean, I don't know that there's really a right or wrong answer. Yeah, I don't think there is either. But I, I got the impression that she was or, or that she is sexually attracted to Amanda. I, I agree. And I think anything that she's kind of... Um, I think like the... I think it's kind of a projection, like her sexual... Um, attitude towards her religious experience i think it's kind of her way of covering like you know ladies get her lady purse dripping yeah yeah and if the intent was to not make the kind of manifestation of god talking to allegedly talking to her if it was the intention was to not make it like physical i don't think that that succeeded because I think it comes off a little bit too much and maybe intentionally so as, you know, an orgasm, which, yeah. And I, and I don't know if that's, if that I've missed a, I missed a subtlety in the acting, but it, it, I, it seems very, it seems very overtly sexual. I, me. yeah, I, I agree. Which is, which is interesting because at first I thought, well, I guess first you're supposed to think that Maud may be someone who hasn't had sexual experiences. Because you don't really first, know much about her, but then when you find yeah, out at first that she she's, lived a little more bit more of like a hedonist lifestyle. She was the town mattress. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so you know what I mean? Like she can tell the difference between those two things, but obviously she sees this as something different. So in that way, I was like, okay, maybe I'll, you know, I won't be too critical about the way that they shoot and have her act the moments where that kind of sensation occurs. But I just, I couldn't get over the fact that it looked a little bit too much like she's having an orgasm. She was, yeah, she was feeling herself. And so I guess speaking of that, you know, right on the heels of this conversation with Amanda, which kind of closes that, um, with, with Amanda talking about her fear of death and Maude trying to comfort her, you know, as, as Maude leaves and kind of walks up the stairs, she feels that kind of sensation. And I guess you could say she moans in ecstasy, right? 
Um, you know what? I guess you could. And I think I think without. Well, I was about to say without words, but I keep forgetting the voiceover might quite literally say it. But you know, it almost seemed like. I mean, it's, it, it maybe it's just it's, it's less the it might be less the filmmaking and more the fact that like in some ways you can tell where the movie's going. Not in all ways, but you know, it's very clear that Maud starts to feel like it's God's made it Maud's job to save Amanda's soul, and it like Hereditary. I like that this movie immediately lets you know something is wrong in the first like 10 minutes. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I also, um, also remember like, this is a, this is a pretty small movie in terms of scope and budget uh, and characters. Very. Um, and I think it's actually to the movie's credit. Like we talk about video games a lot where limitations actually uh, benefit the end product. Yep. And I think this is the case because there's no fluff, there's no subplots. Um, it kind of gets right to it. You know, here are two central figures. Um, there's already some, you know, unsettling things going on. Yeah. And I, and I guess to illustrate my comment a little bit more too, though, is it, 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 to give like a contrasting idea is that um, it, it, in, in horror, like, I mean, there are, there are, you know, 80 to 90 minute horror movies that you, they're horror movies, you know something's wrong, but you're kind of waiting for it to happen. But that's kind of, a, and I'm not sure if you've seen the movie House of the Devil, which is the kind of the movie that was the first thing I thought of when I was trying to think of a thing to compare this to, and that you're, it's a slow burn, you're waiting for something to happen. I wouldn't call this as much a slow burn in the fact that there's a very real, unsettling, evil presence right at this scene. Whereas in other horror movies like House of the Devil, that doesn't happen till later. And like Hereditary, it happens pretty early too. Here, and I guess this is something to camp out on too, that when this sensation happens, I really, really, really like the way that they have it end. Because at the very end, I think there's like a swelling of the music, right? And not too overwhelming, a little subtle. And there's this kind of like moaning and there's almost just for a split second, the very first time, then it becomes a little more obvious later. And I was actually even paused it to kind of walk through the frames. There's a moment where her face starts to distort unnaturally. Yes. Right at the end. And I yes. really, really liked that. Yes. Um, that to me was just like a, you know, get ready type thing. Yes. And it does it the first time. It's very, very split. And it happens pretty quickly again after that as she's doing dishes. Yes, um, I agree. Yeah. Let's move on from yeah. this orgasm scene. We kind of see some around the house type stuff, some of the physical therapy happening, right? Uh, what else do we see? Um, I think we just, we kind of just- We, hear, we hear another thing of prayers, right? Yeah. Um, and then basically the next big note of action um, is when another visitor comes to the door. Yep. Who is who? Uh, there's a ju just uh, before Carol comes, which may or may not be a reference to uh, the uh, movie Carol and or the short story that I'm blanking on by Patricia Highsmith. Uh, which oh, you're not the uh, Horatio Sands character from SNL? I mean, it could also be a reference to that, okay. but... Um, we have Carol entering the scene and who is Carol again, a very small cast of characters, each of them very important. 
Carol is a woman that uh, Amanda is paying to come over and have sex with her. Well, okay. Let, you're wow. You're just you're jumping straight to conclusions there, aren't you? I thought it's explicitly said. I thought there was an exchange of money. There am is I, an exchange I... of there. No, there is an exchange of money, but we don't we don't know the details. Like, you know, maybe she's just paying for her company. You know, maybe Carol is an escort, and maybe oh, any sexual relations they have are are on the side and is born out of true love. That's possible. I I mean, she does want company and Maude is a very big extreme. And yeah, I mean, it would be mischaracterizing the relationship to say all they do is hang out and have banging lesbian sex all day. Oh, and I didn't mean, I didn't mean to, to, to imply that. I just, I mean, that is, I think that is what is happening. Wait, what, what is, what what, what is happening? No, that they are having sex with each other. What they're having, they're having what kind of sex? Banging hot sex. Banging lesbian sex. Banging lesbian sex. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I think it's I think it is more than more than just implied that they're also just kind of keeping each other company. I mean, Carol even mentions she seems to say she kind of likes Amanda. Like it's I I don't think it's purely sexual, but I think yeah. that might be how that arrangement started. Yeah, but Carol is really, I mean, she's the good time girl in every sense. Um, she both satisfies uh, Amanda sexually as well as likes to drink like Amanda does and uh, likes to generally have a good time. Uh, Carol is very much meant to be like a, a very intense foil uh, of Maude slash Katie. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, that, I mean, unless there's something in between that I'm missing, the, the next two notes I had were that, you know, one night Maude's nose starts bleeding which is another one of those classic like uh uh-oh horror moments um yeah go ahead uh yeah no no, not a lot to mention about that but go um and then the next kind of major note i had is where maude and amanda start to pray together um which amanda seems to enjoy um, yeah but and it's like okay you know maybe this is a big victory for her because she's trying to convert this woman but just watching it the look on her face like she there's a little more yeah wow. and then during one of those moments Maud starts to feel that same kind of um ecstasy type feeling again and amanda you kind of see that she seems to be feeling it as well and then it cuts away yet again as maude's face starts to distort it, it, yes. it quite it doesn't happen to amanda but it happens to maude yes um and then yeah i, I think there's one kind of ne- next like major point before that happens i think there's a scene and i'm talking about where maude confronts carol um there's a shot where we see maude's stomach i think think that happens before that and it's covered in scars that i would say look pretty fresh um yeah but i'm not you know i may not be the the most observant you know in the scar field true no i agree i think what they're going for is um that she is like flagellating or she's self-injuring which we find out literally to be true yes but it Sometimes I think the movie would have benefited from being a little bit longer. Um, I would have liked to see like maybe a scene explaining this a little more. You can, you can kind of, um, you know, make the mental leap that obviously she's like self-flagellating or whatever the case may be. Um, But like later when we find out about her past, like it's really unclear how long she's been this way. Yeah. Um, 
you know, has she been this on this crazy religious kick for like a month for like three years? Like it's, it's kind of unclear. It seems there's, there's a little bit of, it's not explicit, but I, I get the feeling from a scene later by someone from mods past who confronts her that it, it's been at least a year or maybe at least like six months. Yeah. Like long enough for a coworker to be like, Oh, it's you. We're worried about you. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah. So Maud confronts Carol um, and asks Carol to stop seeing Amanda. Very clearly Maud sees Carol as kind of a temptation in the wrong direction. Well, but it also, uh, in like a weird way, I think this, also jealousy. Uh, well, you know, you're, wow, we're just, <laughs> we're of two minds in this episode because I, 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 I agree with those things. I did not see that necessarily. I kind of saw this as where the movie is showing like, no, Mona actually kind of does have a point because Kara's like, what's wrong? Like, she just wants to have a good time. And yeah. Maude is kind of saying, like, you don't get it. Like, this is life and death. Like, you have the rest of your life to, like, have a good time she doesn't have very long left she should be preparing herself for the end and you're kind of distracting her from like her kind of you know having an experience at the end of her life and I think they're both kind of right you know if I were dying I would I would want um you know to be distracted and to have someone who would want to have fun with me and you know hang out with me but Maude's right too like she kind of should be having her mind not just be so distracted on you know pleasures of the flesh but well, you yeah. know g- taking stock of her life so uh i think this is kind of showing you that yeah like uh eh, mod's kind of a little too close to the situation but at the same time like you're not you're not also completely off of mod's opinion like mod makes a good point here yeah i, I think i think so too and, and that's what i meant is kind of just being pulled in the wrong direction like mod sees herself as making progress in her in her quest to, to save amanda's soul and prepare her for death and Carol is not undoing her progress, but it's just a distraction that she doesn't think uh, Maud needs. And in a way, I think Maud is Maud has good intentions, but then I think Maud oversteps, and it's that kind of kind of classic movie thing of like you know you're of that often happens in you know in like a movie where someone becomes too obsessed with someone, you know they they overstep they overstep their bounds pretty quickly, and I think that's what Maud is doing here. Yeah, it's they're they're both they both represent excesses of different kinds. Um, yeah. yeah, but let's let's keep going. Yeah, um, I, I think pretty quickly after that, Maud runs into the, a woman from her past, Joy, who gives her her number and kind of says like, "Hey, you know, it's you." Um, I think refer or calls her Katie. Right? Yeah. Also, specifically, not just person from her past, but coworker. Yes. Yeah. Um, and from here, we kind of get that idea of like, oh, we're worried about you. Um, you know, something happened clearly uh, at her old job. Um, and yeah, we learned that she's kind of going by a different name. Yeah. And um, yeah. And so I nothing, think, nothing good, essentially. Right. And it's a pretty short scene. Like, I think Maude just kind of like brushes her off, just like kind of wishes she didn't see anyone from her past is one of those things like, crap, people yeah. recognize me, even though I have, haven't left the town. Uh, so it's like, obviously, people are going to recognize me at some point. Um, yeah. We uh, we then see, uh, is this where Maude has the walk before the party? Um, it must be. Yeah, it must be, right? Because, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no. yeah. There, there, there's, a, well, there's a walk, but there's a couple other short 
scenes that happened before the party after this one. Um, there's a short scene of, of her watching Amanda play solitaire and Amanda cheats at it. And Maude kind of lectures her. She's all, you know, by the rules and doesn't want any of this, you know, no cheating, no distractions, no cheating. She's, you know, yeah, there's a lot of the middle part of this film, I think, um, really, again, I think it being short works to its advantage. The middle is just reinforcing those ideas uh, yeah. that it sets up at the beginning. Like, Amanda doesn't have a problem cheating. You know, Amanda's more concerned about the moment, you know, uh, yeah. whereas Maude slash Katie is more concerned about, like, you know, her heavenly eternity, stuff and, like that. So Right. And putting her hand uh, above the stove and then touching it and burning herself. Yeah, I mean, you know, stuff you do to 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 the past sexually excite to sexually excite yourself. Yeah, you know. yeah. So Amanda throws a birthday party for herself. She does, and perhaps, who shows up? Perhaps her last birthday. Yeah, party. Uh, Carol shows up. Um, yeah. Carol shows up and uh, gets a little, you know, close to to Amanda, very close. Um, and then uh, uh, Amanda kind of sees Maude's reaction to Carol being there um, and kind of reveals publicly to everyone, kind of humiliates Maude and says, you know, Carol told me, you know, she didn't want, uh, you know, you hang out uh, or her hang out with me. And, you know, you're trying to save my soul and yep. uh, really belittles her and mocks her uh, in front of the guests. Uh, Amanda's a bit drunk, um, but it's just very humiliating. Mm hmm. And then Maud, and what I kind of saw as her becoming possessed, not we'll, in, in we'll, a very we'll subtle talk, way. We'll talk about that later, but yeah, go it, on. We'll talk about some things at the end of this movie that kind of will, uh, it's one of those things where you learn some information. It kind of makes you reevaluate everything that came before. And I think we'll talk about that at length at the end. So I won't go into it now, but I, I guess why I chose my words carefully. Maybe, you know, you could argue seems to get possessed and then slaps Amanda, but it's, it's very subtle, not the slap, but any kind of assumption I may have of Maud getting possessed, I think you can make a perfectly good argument that that's not what happened at all. And I think you would have a good, there'd be good evidence to support that side too in, in what we see and hear. Yeah, yeah. Um, I Again, I think it, it's to the movie's credit that uh, it does kind of finally answer um, like is what's happening in her head or is there something more going on? But what I think it very smartly does is not make it clear. If you go back and rewatch the movie, I get how much of it is Amanda and how much of it is kind of whatever else is going on. Yeah, that's right. Because I mean, Amanda as a person has every right to kind of be very upset and slap. Um, or I'm sorry, not Amanda, Katie, Katie slash Maude has every right to be very upset uh, and to slap Amanda um, just yeah. as, as her own. Uh, you know, on her own, um, let alone what, you know, what else is kind of inside of her. Yep. Yeah. So Amanda fires Maude. Unsurprisingly. Unsurprisingly. Can't, can't really slap women who are dying of cancer. Yeah, can't really do that. Especially, I mean, you could, you can, but if you're employed by them, I'd say that they have every right to fire you. And I mean, yeah, not I in this it's, town. It's, you it's try and get away with it. Any uh, other way. Yeah. yeah. Battery. Um, uh, Maude does not take it great. <laughs> I mean, her body doesn't take it great. She starts to feel physically ill and yeah. God's trying to tell her something. Yeah, what could it be? And she goes through that crisis of faith thing again where, you know, she becomes angry at God. Yeah, you know. 
um, which I which which I find interesting because if you believe in God, uh, you know, you think he's got a plan for everything. I'd be like, yeah, I'll write this out. Family dead, lost my job. Everything's horrible. Um, you know, you you exist and apparently heaven is great. So I'm just going to hang on there. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of anger at God uh, by those who believe in him in fictional representations. But yeah. Um, so Maud, uh, we kind of see her go back to, uh, her old Katie days a little bit. Yeah. And I don't know if this is a Katie date or a Maud day, but I think we, before she goes to the bar, which we'll talk about in a second, I, we see a shot of her with bruised and bleeding knuckles, like scabbed up hands that she's like ripping off, which is interesting. Another one of those things where the movie doesn't show you what she's doing, but you could kind of guess self-harm again yeah self-harm maybe she's part of a weird underground street fighting crew um i mean we don't know what there's, Katie's got you, there's on. a perfectly like i said evidence to support every theory yeah yeah um so yeah ma goes out to a bar and uh drinks a lot yeah by herself too um initially and kind of gets cozy uh with a gentleman yeah she uh she jays a mo she, yeah she really does she does uh later on she does a little more than jmo uh is it the same guy oh is it i think, I, it's, a, I think it's a different guy oh oh katie naughty girl yeah i think so she like she kind of you know puts on a nice dress tries to go pick up i don't know if it's a dress actually but she tries to go pick up a man finds a guy kind of gives him the old uh jibber uh, oh, yeah, the, the old it, jibber is that what they call it the old hen jibber in the uh in she the, gives her the, the old the or she gives him the old like drunk eye like i'm not spending tonight alone am i yeah um, and he's like i'm just drunk enough to think that you're not a creep but then there's this kind of like not a montage but there's this almost funny kind of like two minutes of her trying to find companionship and or friend like and not and succeeding like like that guy i think he's just like thanks and he leaves and then you see her back at the bar and she keeps trying to like join other people's conversations um or you know like make eyes at some guy and no one seems to be biting yeah that is definitely true um we see her like just not really working um in terms of like a functioning social person um you know it doesn't spell out exactly what happened in katie slash mods past um but just from this scene and kind of what happens after you get the sense that like she was probably never the exciting like it girl of the bar scene. She was probably kind of always a drunken mess sleaze bag. Mm-hmm. Um, but going along with funny, I think the sex scene with her and the guy borders into kind of like weird funny uh, as well. Yeah. Um, she's I, having, it, it, sorry. Ahead. I was going to say it's important to note that she does call joy to try to like hang out with her and it's yes. seemingly re- rejects her. And then there's this, well, I'll wait till you're after. No, there's there's a there's a visual motif, I guess, that we should maybe talk about. Yeah, so I'll briefly talk about the sex scene, and then yeah. you can kind of talk about that. But she's having sex with this guy. He's gross, um, and there's she's on top of him, and a guy and it kind of cuts back and forth between him and uh, presumably the woman from the beginning of the film that Maude was trying to save with CPR. Um, and so it kind of like flashes back and forth, back and forth in a way that is kind of funny, but 
I agree. I agree with you that her trying to find companionship is funny. Um, but I think both instances are that kind of funny where something is so like weird and unsettling and like so awkward. You want to make it go away as soon as, as you can and as hard as you can Yeah. that like you just start laughing because you don't know what else to do. Would you say that that's, that, that's kind of funny? I, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but then this, then this scene turns to be the exact opposite of funny where she has, you know, she, you know, becomes gory in the sense that she's envisioning herself breaking his ribs uh-huh, right yes. but then but then he basically rapes her yes she yeah um which is which un- is obviously uh, which is obviously uncomfortable and wrong but also f- which who knows um but it seems from Maud's reaction that this maybe is not the first time that this has happened yes and i was i made a note of that too which is very disturbing um it's 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 yeah it's i don't know i guess a testament to a disturbing testament to like kind of good acting in the sense that i did get that same feeling that it was not the first time that this has happened to her um yeah it's it's tough um yeah it's 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 really tough um i it builds sympathy for Maud. You can tell Maud's in like a really bad place in pretty much from pretty much every angle um, after this. Yeah. Uh, we see her the next day, uh, like very explicitly mutilating herself uh, by putting like spikes in her shoes. Yeah. Well, can I mention two things before we, cause like right, right around then is kind of where we get to the, the down the the end end yeah yeah i would say her her night at the bar is definitely the turning point for her in the movie um it's really all downhill from here and i want to i want to point out two visual things that i well one i thought was interesting and the other i really liked even though it was a little it stood out a little bit maybe not in a good way um so the there's i wrote down visual motif but i don't know if we see it outside of a couple moments there's so it's, 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 a, it's like a visual motif of like spirals and tornadoes, like water going down the drain. And then I think that happens earlier. And then it happens when a, she has the nosebleed. Yes. yes. And then she has a vision of her beer and other beers swirling like a tornado. And then there's yeah. a cloud formation later. I guess those are the three moments. So, so talking out loud, I think, because uh, from when it happens in the nosebleed, which may be the first time, it's the blood going down the drain. So I, I think maybe yeah. the idea is not like tornadoes or spirals. I actually, maybe it is spiral, like things spiraling out of control or like things, More like, going, yeah, things, things going down the drain, um, like things being wasted. Um, yeah. I, I think, again, saying it out loud and we can kind of talk about it when we get to the end, but the idea of profound waste, uh, I think is, is uh, on display in this film. Between Amanda kind of wasting her last days, Maude kind of being a waste, and we can talk about her like kind of ultimate waste uh, at the end. Um, but yeah. just a lot of like unrealized potential, a lot of people also physically wasting, you know, Amanda's physically wasting away. Yep. Um, and-, and with the, 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 the being that's in the cockroach, the idea of waste kind of makes sense. Yeah. And then there's another kind of possibly really like blatant kind of visual representation of her kind of heading in the wrong direction. There's a shot of her walking down the alley to get home 
and it's like a 90, it's like tilted 90 degrees. And so she's walking. So like her going into the door is like her going into the bottom of the frame. Like, or like her door is at the bottom of the frame and she kind of just like goes, you know, her going into her house is her going down, downward. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool, but I think it stands out a lot. Like almost to the point where I'm like, "Mm, I know you thought this was cool. I mean, a lot of movies have it. I'm not trying to knock it. It's just, it just stands out a lot. There's not a whole lot of other like visual camera flares that happen in this movie that would make this blend in a little more. Yeah, it's it's a bit on the nose. Um, I think Midsummer and Hereditary both do that with like they, the up, they do. upside down. Yeah, which I agree is like ah, we get what you're doing. It's like it's a little much. Um, yeah. I, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. It's it's um, funny with Midsummer and, and Hereditary. It's like the, your world is turning. Yeah, upside it's like down. yeah, it's it's again, it's extremely on the nose, uh, and yeah. they do the same thing in in those movies. Um, I think it's fine. Um, yeah. I agree. I think something slightly more restrained would be better, but yeah, what are you going to do? So she comes home and begs God to guide her again. Oh, wow. <laughs> says that she'll do anything. Oh, um, did, uh, sorry. Did now, did, is this the part where she... Um, the shoes? Well, yes, the shoes. And then, okay, the next scene we're going to get to. Yes, so she, she asks God for guidance and we see that she, in her shoes, she puts um, like basically standing pins so that every time she steps her heel oh, yeah. kind of sinks in yeah 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 um in in movies that they show this um like they show this in da vinci code as well like people very severely injuring themselves in really yep. horrific ways like step by step um like in real life self-flagellators uh you know dm us message us are you able to go about your whole day with like spikes in your shoes There's or like no a, a, thorn, a thorn belt around your thigh? There's just I no way. Really don't think so. It seems very exaggerated, but you never know what people have done. Um, yeah, I suppose. And I, and I don't know if this happens before she does that or after, I think before, but when she's, when she's kind of like begging God to almost like take her back in a way, um, She's she projectile vomits uh, and then kind of gets that ecstasy feeling again. And starts convulsing on the floor as like fireworks go on outside. Um, fire getting called back later. Uh-huh. Um, she like foams at the mouth and then her body just starts getting lifted up. And then I think there cuts to a shot of a cockroach on the ceiling of her room in the same to mimic the first shot or one of the first um, shots of the movie. Yes. Um, and the projectile vomiting is interesting uh, for reasons we will talk about at the end. Yep. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so she goes out w- walking. She puts pins in like a picture of Mary and then puts um, puts pins in her shoes. Or yeah, we, we, didn't, of Mary. we didn't make it explicit, but in her tiny apartment, she has a very intense shrine going on. Very intense. It's, it's kind of like a who's who of Catholicism, right? It seems <laughs> yeah. like it. I mean, it's the place to see and be seen if you're a deity in the yeah. Catholic world. So. Um, so yeah, she goes on a walk, seems totally fine. I mean, no wincing that I noticed. So that, that made <laughs> yeah. me wonder, yes. you know. Um, she starts researching Amanda, right? She kind of like finds and stalks her new we, nurse. Yeah, but we kind of, yeah. So we kind of knew she was stalking Amanda before when she finds true, um, true. kind of posters and books of Amanda's uh, work as a choreographer. But 
Um, she, yes, she definitely um, finds out who Amanda's next nurse is um, and like overhears a conversation out on a walk um, where the nurse talks to another nurse who they're kind of both on their lunch break and talks about how her and Amanda are apparently getting on very well. Yep. Which uh, Maude is a little bit upset by. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. And then I think that's when the, the big night happens. This is, I think the, the rest of the movie, except for the very end, all take place within one night. Well, I don't know if you knew this, but when I was doing my research, the alternate title to the film was called uh, Katie's Big Night. Oh, I think that actually would have been a better title. I think it might have gotten a bigger audience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Katie's big night. Katie's big I'm, night. I'm picturing just like a like an '80s like party college party movie. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, so the next scene is Maude talking to the cockroach uh, in Welsh, right? Yeah, yeah. She's like, she's in bed and she sees that cockroach like scurry towards her, the dresser that kind of makes up her shrine that has like her rosary crucifix pictures and such. And this, we kind of see this like ripple um, of light or something like that. And then we get like our, our, you know, deep voice Welsh in Welsh speaking to her as she approaches the dresser. Yeah. And I did have to look that up. So I, I had to I look it too. up as to whether that was a real language uh, yeah. or not. It's Welsh. It, um, it doesn't really, unless you're familiar with Welsh, which maybe people are. I, I mean, I'm sure actually a whole segment of the population of birth is. But yep. uh, yeah, it's a very weird sounding language. And that's why I had to look it up because like it sounds very like guttural and supernatural and unearthly. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's it's this very deep uh, voice and it's, uh, you know, at this point in the movie and if you're Maud, this is the, presumably the voice of God uh, and they, they have a little conversation. Not even, like, he kind of just talks at her. Yeah, he's, he says soon you'll join the great embrace. You know, he says that he's proud of her, says she's got one more test and then she can join him and she says how will i know what to do and he says you've always known oh, oh my and Jesus. and i made a note about this and i and then i texted you about it i i i had so, so much time to look this up and i didn't a picture drops from her wall and it's a picture that we see earlier in the movie she's looking at like a a book of like of with paintings from an artist of some sort and i don't know what it is but i think it might be relevant and i just have to admit my shame and not looking this up because I think it probably the answer is probably interesting and it's relevant because why else would a picture suddenly drop from her wall it's got to connect somehow to what's going on but I alas I do not have an answer so I have the movie open in the background and uh we didn't talk about it but uh like she's looking through a, a book of William Blake paintings yes that uh, earlier it. in the film I actually am a big William Blake fan. I own a, a book of William Blake paintings oh. and that talks a lot about William Blake. Um, William Blake was uh, like a very religious painter and was like very, um, if I remember correctly, like was big into like fear of God uh, as like his his big thing. And William Blake paintings, uh, also uh, the Great Red Dragon that's followed the sun, which is um, oh right, that's that. That's, I, I knew I knew that. That's name. William Blake. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who? Uh, the, you that's know, what you the, have tattooed on your back. 
Yes, yes, like Francis yeah. Dollarhide yeah. Uh, from yeah from Thomas Harris, uh, Red Dragon, uh, and uh, the amazing show Hannibal. Um, those are William Blake paintings. They're very overwrought. They're very um, like disturbingly over uh, articulated in terms of like human musculature and form. Mm-hmm. Um, they're 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 creepy. They're creepy paintings, uh, religious paintings. I love them. Um, but it's, it's, they're, they're kind of disturbing. Yeah. Um, I wish off the top of my head, I could tell you more about William Blake cause it is important and it does matter and it's relevant. Um, but, uh, I, I didn't do that. Okay. Um, so everyone listening, uh, go look up William Blake. He led a very interesting life and his paintings are great. I would also endorse it if I knew more about him, but I'll yeah. go off your recommendation and tell people to do what you say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Maud then dresses herself in a robe that's made from her bed sheets, I think. I guess. I mean, she doesn't have a lot of stuff. So. She, she fills up like a jug of water or something and blesses it. And, Is it? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think that's water. So, well, so we see shots of hydrogen peroxide and acetone on her counter. But OK. Um, oh, no, because I was writing stream of consciousness this during this part. And I thought maybe she was, she was, I was half expecting her to be trying to bless water as like holy water. And then something was going to happen where, you know, holy water causes things to burn or something like that. But you're right. I mean, I, I, I you know, immediately after I saw the shot of, uh, cause I, I, I think I wrote it as I saw that. And then I saw, saw the hydrogen peroxide. I was like, Oh, okay. And I didn't go back and change my note. Uh, yeah, no, they, uh, we will find out what that is later. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. What'd she do? Where, where does she go? Oh, she just creepily sneaks back into... Oh, well, we not should yet. say... Not, not yet. yet. Not, not yet. yet. Um, you are right. <laughs> she... Where, where does she go? Um, she goes nowhere. She goes nowhere. She starts praying and she gets a visit from her gal pal from earlier. Which it, it seems interesting because Joy seems very friendly which I think we were meant to believe that she might've just been like outright rejecting Maud when Maud called her when she was on out drinking. Well, but yeah, but I mean, can you really blame her? Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to hang out yeah. with Maud either. Yeah. Um, but Joey quite like is a lot, very forward with Maud and says, you know, like what happened to you wasn't your fault. Um, you know, the accident where she accidentally killed someone. Um, Maud kind of just looks out the window and doesn't really respond. And that's when she sees that swirling cloud formation I mentioned. Um, and Maud is just like very reassuring. She says, don't worry, I'll be fine. Like everything's great. Joy very clearly does not buy that, but she's not trying to overstep. And she's kind of like, yeah, okay, well, uh, I'll come back later and, and, and check on you. Yeah, they do a great job through both um, like the the script and I think the acting and direction that like jo- they make very clear that like Joy is just her coworker. Like they're not friends; they never were friends. Yep. And I think they do a good job of realistically showing like how how would you handle the situation? Like, you know, if I had a coworker that lost their job under very difficult circumstances like that, and I ran into them, and they seemed really like to be having a hard time this is about as far as I would go. And I, I, you know, I don't think I would go, you know, further than joy. I think it would be out the same moment joy is. Um, I think if joy did kind of any more, it would stretch credulity, 
but I also think if Joy didn't show up again, her character would be a waste. Yeah. Um, so I think this is like, this is perfect. This is, feels very real to me. Like, yeah, I'm going to try and help you out. We used to work together. This really hard thing happened to you. But at the same time, like, we're not friends. I'm not hanging out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's almost if Maud like, may have imagined the conversation earlier where she called Joy and Joy rejected her based on the way Joy's acting here. Yeah, maybe. I honestly, though, like, Maud doesn't is... doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter, but I definitely see, like... I can see it working both ways with uh, Joy not answering. I can see it working, you know, to create sympathy for Maud because, you know, she needs someone and no one's there, including this person who said to call her. But also if you're Joy, I'm sure it's like three in the morning and I'm sure Maud is like a mess. And it's like, yeah. I'm, I'm not answering that. Which again, like realistic, like if my coworker called me at like two in the morning, who I knew, former coworker, who I knew was having a really hard time. I'm like, no, I, this is only going to be trouble if I answer it. Yeah, yeah. So the next scene's pretty great. Would you say? Um, I would say a lot of scenes in this are great, but yeah, uh, th- yeah this <laughs> one is. Um, so uh, we have Maud sneaking into Amanda's house. Uh, you know, pr- I, presumably she has a way of getting it, or does do, does she use her key? Uh, she knows where a key is. She hit. knows where the key is. That's it. Yeah, because she was the help. You, uh, and you know. Uh, Amanda does not think that she's going to break in and force her to have this weird, intense religious experience, right? Yeah, yeah that's uh, no, what happens. Not. Yeah, uh, tell us about it. Um, so yeah, so kind of dressed in her makeshift robe and wearing rosary beads, she goes to Amanda's after her nurse leaves and finds Amanda sleeping. And Amanda, she wakes up kind of unstartled by Maud's presence she kind of immediately just acknowledges her being there and is just like I'm sorry well yeah and Amanda Amanda they've shown is like a, kind of a bohemian type um you know she was a dancer uh and also like what happened between her and Maud was pretty unresolved like yeah. Maud slapped her she fired her they didn't really have like a conclusion again I think that it's the script saw. that we saw I think it's to the script's credit and the direction again that um this feels real um, it doesn't like in a lesser movie, this would feel like in um, uh, that terrible John Travolta movie where he's the crazy super fan, um, where he just shows up at the guy's house in his that. bedroom. There's a scene where he shows up at the guy's house, like in his bedroom, and it just feels very like this is a movie happening. This isn't what two people would actually say to each other. It's it's well done, but it's still you know the kind of thing where you'd almost expect. I mean, as as someone. If I woke up in this situation, I'd be like, what the hell are you doing in my, you know, she's, I'd be startled at least. Amanda's not startled, um, which makes a little bit more sense in a second. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, she apologizes to Maude for how she kind of mocked her and treated her before firing her. And, and Maude says, you know, it's okay because God sent me to you. Um, I think Maude tries to bless, I know this is why I think I kept the, my note about holy water. Cause she tries and I'm, and maybe, maybe it isn't water. Maybe it is. Yeah. She I think it's, she tries I, to bless her. She tries I, to like give her a sign of the cross or something. And Amanda rejects it. And I think it's because it's not water. I think it's cause it's the acetone or whatever that she uses later. Well, given what is about to happen, it could technically be holy water. It's, it's, it's not, but you know, there's an argument. You could make a reasonable, a straight-faced argument for it being it. But you're right. I, I, I think I'm, I'm convinced. I'm gonna keep my face straight for okay. this argument. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah and so like amanda kind of just very quickly rejects that blessing and admits that she faked the experience she had had when they were praying before um and i guess in that kind of moment starts laughing Um, yeah and it's like i it's hard like i I don't know how to feel about, about Amanda because on the one hand, like she has every right to feel violated and think Maude is crazy. But at the same time, like some of the stuff she does is cruel. Yeah. Um, so she laughs and I guess I'm, I'm not sure the exact order it happens, but she kind of reveals herself to be a demon. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I'd like maybe. to hear. Yeah, yeah maybe. 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 I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Do um, you? Do you think? I'll tell that... you what I think is happening, and I'll tell you what I want it the answer to be. Sure. I um, think when you say what you're going to say, we're going to agree. I don't know. We've been uh, we've been of two minds. This. I this, think. This I think you're going to bring us together. Uh, oh. Um. Well, let me let me say what what happened. What, what, let's look. Let's map out the rest of the scene, maybe, and then talk about it. Or should sure. we should we map out the rest of the movie and then talk about it? Because it relates to everything. Yeah, let's. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, lead us through the rest of the film, and then we'll break it down. So, so she kind of gets like a physical, little bit of physical transformation of of a demon, like a sunken face and just like a bigger mouth and a different voice. Um, and this you know, alleged demon mocks Maud for doubting her own faith and feeling the need to have to prove it. Um, it says, I think she says like, God isn't real. Um, it, you know, she knows that God isn't real. And then Maud, you know, is reacting. She's startled and the demon kind of throws her across the room very hard. Like she flies across the room, hits the wall. And then Maud kind of runs up to Amanda and stabs her to death with scissors um and yeah the i mean this has to be watched to be appreciated but i think i I don't i I couldn't say more about this that would really do credit to the scene i think it's really well done um especially the moment when we see amanda in that kind of demonic look and um yeah uh and maude just she kind of goes home goes to bed she just kind of leaves um the next morning, she... which again, I, I don't mean to compare and it's, it, it's very different, but uh, hereditary, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, the next morning, she uh, kind of appears to have angel wings, um, or at least that's what we see. Um, she walks to the beach in her robe and sees that swirling cloud again um, and douses herself in acetone. And sets herself on fire. She really does. She she really she, goes for she, it. She, yeah, she, <laughs> yeah, she goes for it big time. Yeah. Um, and then there's this moment uh, where kind of everyone drops their knees and Maude is this like deified, you know, beautiful saint figure. Um, and that's seemingly kind of how Maude uh, hopes things are going. Yeah, we get, see that burning from her perspective. Everyone drops to their knees and in awe of her and then what's really going on yeah, I have, the, the, la- the literal last i don't know is it even a full second 
I no, I don't think so. Uh, of the movie is a quick cut to the reality of her screaming in agony as she burns to death and smash cut to credits. Yeah, moi, chef fingers. I think lingering on this anymore would be too much. I think it's like the perfect, you know, pop before the end. Yes. Um, so now what I think is happening, which is not totally in alignment with what I want to have been happening, is that she was imagining all of that or a, a substantial amount of the things that happened in this movie. And Amanda is not a demon. Um, she just kills Amanda. Um, Maybe there's a struggle, but there's nothing demonic, no possession. There's nothing going on. Amanda isn't a demon herself. I mean, it's all, that's all imagined um, as is. Oh, okay. So do you believe that the cockroach is in fact a supernatural entity? Do you think that the devil is involved or do you think everything has been in Amanda's mind? And that's why I was, I was trying to choose my words carefully that at least the conf the confrontation with Amanda was in her mind. Um, I don't know. I haven't totally worked out the rest of it. So, so here's what I, I maybe maybe it's better to 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 touch on what I want to be true. What I want to be true is that the cockroach is a is not God. It is a a the devil or uh, some angel thereof. Um manipulating Maud and, and, and this whole time she has been manipulated by the devil on in, really through no effort by the devil, other than providing a physical sensation is convincing has been convincing Maud this whole time that she's being spoken to by God. Um, and Maud has just worked it out for herself that, that it's not, that it's not that it, that it is God, even though she's wrong. And then I want Amanda to actually have been to be actually have been possessed as the kind of the devil's way of being like, I've, I've won. I, you are, you are so far gone. You are going to believe that you are doing what God is telling you to do. And you're going to martyr yourself and you're going to kill this woman because I've complete, I've succeeded in tricking you. And so she kills Amanda. Um, you know, the demon possesses Amanda and then leaves Amanda's body and Amanda dies. And then Maud kills herself. Yeah, I, I agree with almost all of that. The one thing I kind of um, don't like or don't really necessarily buy into is um, I think that the confrontation with Amanda is what the devil is making Amanda see. I don't think that Amanda is at all ever possessed. Okay. Um, because I think that um, this goes into a lot of stuff, but um, did you read the crucible uh, in high school, the play? Or did I did not play. Did you ever see the film? No. So it's about the Salem witch trials and to just pull one thing out of there. Okay. They make a, they make a really strong point in that um, because, you know, near the end, a lot of people get accused of being witches that are really upstanding good citizens. Right. And kind of the, the workaround they make is like, well, actually, it's the devil's like his greatest victory, his sweetest prize is to win over, you know, someone who desperately wants to believe in God or desperately yeah. you know, is a true believer. So, uh, I, like, in my mind, the beginning of the film 
you know, when we see the dead body in Amanda, you know, in the hospital room, I see that as like, in my mind, you have to be so broken inside emotionally and spiritually for the devil to be able to get in. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the moment he gets in. And then it's, it's him kind of all along. Okay. I don't think that Amanda's possessed because we don't really like, unless she were, unless there was a scene where she talks about like, you know, when I received my diagnosis, I was just so broken and devastated and I begged God for help and God didn't answer, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's no sense that Amanda has experienced besides being diagnosed with terminal cancer, something as like crazy and devastating as mom. Like I don't, I don't see Amanda having the same trauma as uh, Katie to um, open herself up to like possession that way. I think it would. And that's, that's nitpicking and hair splitting. I don't really ultimately care if the director came forward yeah. and was like, no, she was really possessed, Me but that's too. just my own like head cannon. And, and I don't, I think what I, I really like physical manifestations of a demonic entity when I, when I when the, for, for movies about like the devil that work well it, I, I like when there's a and i'm not talking a physical manifestation like oh Maud's floating i mean like i mean like amanda in that final scene that's why i like to think of it that's why i kind of want her to have been possessed in fact i think it would be neat and i don't think that it's out of completely out of the question unless the director just says it is that amanda hasn't been possessed for longer and that this is the devil's way of torturing Maud. You could argue that this is a very, I mean, Amanda embodies a very real perspective that many humans have. So it's not, it's not so crazy that only the devil could conjure it. You know what I mean? Like Maud could just be tortured or, or, you know, or led down this path by a very normal person in this line of work that you may encounter. But I think I just like the idea often of, the devil being like, yeah, I'm going to possess somebody and I'm going to be, have this kind of more physical presence on earth. Uh, um, yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. You know, um, like uh, maybe like black Phillip. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. And two, I, again, I think it's in the movie's credit that like, it, honestly, it really doesn't, it didn't affect my enjoyment. It could be either way. It could be, you know, the director come out and say, you know, X, Y, and Z. And like, I think the movie gives you just enough uh, to think about, uh, in terms of like clues to yeah. who's controlling what and things like that. Like, I, I think it walks a very fine line and I think it does so well. Um, I think it leaves itself open to multiple interpretations. But again, if like the director came down very clearly saying, this is the way I intended it, I wouldn't really mind, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was St. Maud, uh, an intense watch, uh, I would say. Um, this, the world of St. Maud, uh, you don't see a lot of it. It's presumably our world for the most yeah, part. But I, uh, tell me about how much you want to be in that world. Well, that's the thing. Uh, unless they're like, there's a secret, like dishonored, um, sub subculture plot about them, you know, like using whale oil. Um, I'm pretty sure this is our world, uh, but our world with a very confirmed devil and presumably confirmed God, uh, as well. Um, I'm going to say yes. I want to live in this world because any, any world, any supernatural film that explicitly has a devil uh, that must also imply an explicit God, which implies that heaven is real, that implies that just stick with God and you'll go to heaven. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with it. Okay. Yeah. Not what I was expecting. 
Um, I, if we were to make this a video game, um, I thought it would be cool to have like a Phoenix Wright style visual novel um, where you kind of have to resolve contradictions. I love that you went this direction. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just Did, were I'm you sorry. gonna go a similar direction? Um, it, it was it's somewhat similar. It was I have like three ideas, and I'll tell you the other one that I went through. I think you'll enjoy it. I'm just glad we're talking about both of them. Yeah, I, I was really seeing this as like a Phoenix Wright style visual novel where maybe you have to like spot contradictions in conversations or in reality to like navigate Maud through her topsy turvy world. And maybe as the game went on slowly, instead of uh, accumulating contradictions, um, you have to call like to disprove things. You have to collect contradictions to like prove things in Maud's deranged state of mind. I don't know, but that was kind of the idea I had. Okay. You doubt you thought about it more than I had. I, I, the furthest I, I I didn't really get that far down that idea because I decided that for me, it's going to be a persona-like game. This is, this is like a half nurse sim where you're like running errands, maintaining a social life with the, with the, oh, the people in town, you okay. know, maybe balancing, you know, faith points with hedonist points, Ooh, you know, kind of like okay. the karma system and fallout three and such, yeah. you know? And then the other half, you're fighting demons that are trying to kind of possess the people in town or maybe even you. And you're almost kind of like fighting physical manifestations. Of are you imagining this as like a character action Devil May Cry mashup with Persona? In, in a way, yeah. I kind of imagine that as being like the combat style. Not, not like an RPG combat style. Um, not that I don't love Persona's combat style and not that I don't didn't enjoy Persona 5 Striker's combat style. But I think like a, kind of just like a hack and slash devil may cry esque would be a fun uh half of the game but obviously like persona i'm there for the social aspect i'm there for the nurse sim give me that sure nurse. yeah 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 um did you ever play um dante's inferno it was a really bad xbox no. 360 playstation 3 i did uh, not game it's basically devil may cry or no i'm sorry god of war it's a god of war clone but instead of greek mythology it follows uh dante's inferno and the nine circles of hell I, I did not. That, is, um, it, is it, you said it's not good? It's like a, it's very much like a God of War alike. So it'll depend on your patience for God of War, like PS2 God of War. It'll also depend on your patience for um, like the, the plot stuff. Like if you're interested in Dante's Inferno and the Seven Circles of Hell. Hmm. Uh, but if you had played it, um, I bet it would be a big favorite of Katie's. I bet she would, she, if she were a gamer, she'd play a lot of Dante's Inferno. All right. You sound like you know her really well. I also, um, I'm going to throw it out there. I am a closet fan of Dante's Inferno. If we ever, if there's ever a way to like emulate it or play it um, for on PlayStation 4 or 5, because it's a PS3 game, uh, it's we it's mandatory. We, we must do that game. I, I would do it. And, and it's funny that you, I'm just quickly bringing up, I was thinking about one now. I was like, how do, how do we, how do we play this? I really have never, I've never played Call of Cthulhu, Dark Corners of the Earth. Not the Call of Cthulhu, Cthulhu like the one that came out like four years ago, five years ago. I really want to play, yeah, I want to play that as I've well. I've never played it, but I've, I would love to play it. PS3 is this kind of like weird um, lost generation right now. Um, there's so many games that like you just can't play until they come out with like, re-releases uh, a la Demon Souls or like a really robust Was it PS3? Because if it's a PS3 I know there's stores down so I wouldn't be able to buy or I could buy well wait no I mean if it's a PS3 it's a yeah it's a PS3 game Dante's Inferno 
Oh, sorry. I'm not sorry. I was thinking of Call of Cthulhu, but yeah, oh. d- sorry. Donnie's Inferno. I, c- I could play Don. I do have a PS3. Uh, we'll check it out. Um, maybe we'll play it again someday. I would definitely, I played enough of that game because I played it multiple times, like to completion. Uh, I, I have played it enough to competently be able to talk about it. And if I watch YouTube refreshers, I could probably pull that off. Okay. So we'll, we'll keep that in the back pocket. Um, before we do fan fiction corner, should we do a really quick wrap up of what works, what doesn't work? Or do, yeah, what? absolutely. Yeah, we we kind of sorry, I jumped over that. Oh, um, no worries. Actually, you know what? Let's why don't we why don't we wrap the show with it? Let's just want to do fan fiction corner and then close with those. It's kind of like our final thoughts. Yeah, and then what we've been doing this week. Absolutely. Um, let's do fan fiction corner by saying there is no fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, there's none. Um, yeah. We tricked you all. You all got your yes, hopes up. Yes, yes, we did. I was really shocked. I thought there would be something. I really thought that because this is such like a character rich um, quasi, you know, homoerotic lesbian, you know, there's like lesbian undertones. There's just are. there's like homoerotic undertones. Right. Um, this is also a movie with a very young like protagonist. This is also a movie that I would think younger, you know, more artsy kind of people would have seen. And maybe I'm stereotyping the types of people that write fan fiction, but I'm thinking they're young, artsy, and into queer baiting. <laughs> and and nothing. I got nothing on this. I, I found no fan fiction. It's a, it's a shocker. Yeah. it's. I mean, I guess let's... Obviously, we would love it to cross over with Sonic the Hedgehog, as we love all our fan fictions to do. Absolutely. Specifically, Miles, uh, Tails Prower. Definitely. Um, any other fan fiction wish dreams? I would love for a Kingdom Hearts fan fiction where they, like, there's a world designed after uh, St. Maud, And, like, think of, the heart, <laughs> think of the Heartless designs. We should have a whole... Like, you know what? We should do a Kingdom Hearts game. Oh, right? And once I, when we do... We sh- it should be a three-hour episode, uh, maybe. Uh, but either way, we should have a category from then on for every movie about how would this be represented as a world in Kingdom Hearts. I I love that as just a segment to the show. At the, you know, with uh, fan fiction it. corner. I let's we may you heard it here first, folks. Uh, we may add a segment from now on. That's what would the what would the Kingdom Hearts world be? Okay, I say mandatory. We have to have these two considerations for Kingdom Hearts World. Where is the keyhole, and what does the keyblade look like that you get? From this world? I think <laughs> yes. those are. I think yes. those are mandatory. All right. Okay, I'm gonna say the keyhole is behind Amanda's bed. Ooh. Okay. And then I'm gonna say. I was gonna say behind her behind her shrine. Ooh, that's good too. I, ooh, that's tough. I, I'll go with either. I'll go with either of those. Uh, I'm definitely going to say the key keyblade is called something like um, Flames of Faith or something. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to say the like the what uh, the main blade, I guess you'd call it, because each there's like the main blade and then there's like the axe kind of part. Okay. I'm gonna for a keyblade. I'm gonna say the main blade is like the ribbony. Um, fabric she wears like her robe and maybe you could throw some beads on there mm. and i'm gonna say the uh rosary like the, beads of course of course the hook like the hook part the axe part uh i'm gonna say is a burning flame okay yeah i like that uh i was probably gonna go even like more like surgical nurse like almost very exaggeratedly so there's not really doesn't really appear in the movie but just kind of like a 
almost like a one of those just like gross looking saws you see for like oh sure. uh, for amputation like a, yeah like a bone saw with like and, and i like the rosary there has to be a little chain on every keyblade of some sort and you got to have that uh rosary. yeah yeah um so yeah so that was our that was our first um King whoa, of- whoa 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 what are you doing what are you doing what? what's what's the name i i came up with flames oh, of fate. what's the name i came up i came up with right. flames of fate and that was off the top of my head sorry that's I was, brilliant i was that was that was fantastic and i apologize yeah. for not for not emphasizing that um my i was immediately intimidated and realized that i need to come up with something good because i was impressed by yours um but also i was kind of concerned or i was preoccupied with the thought that we're we've created a segment that will isolate all people who have not played kingdom hearts it's like if you if you've made it through an episode where you haven't seen saint maude but you're interested in it we've just spoiled the whole whole movie for you you may still be on board but if you have no intention of playing kingdom hearts you don't know what it is we've this is where you need to sign out yeah this is where you need to turn off uh turn off the episode um oh man I know. Okay. So at the end of the movie, I don't think we t- we talked about this, but she says something before she burns. And I think it should be what she says. She says like, oh, uh, glory be to God, glory be to like God in Welsh, in Welsh, which is the same language she was talking to Satan. in. Yes. Also, um, or, so I'm going to call it mine's God, mine, mine, God's glory. Sure. Um, can we jump to talk about what works and what doesn't? Are we, uh, yeah, yeah. No, we're, we're there because I'm going to go straight to that. Um, that's a really good segue. Uh, because, I think what works is the theming and kind of what click I, I always liked it. And what clicked in my head um, when we were talking about it today is that idea of like profound waste um, and how to the devil that would be kind of like his greatest victory is just a life utterly like wasted and ruined. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, the idea of her saying glory to God and setting herself on fire along with the swirling in the sky, like it's all, everything's going down the drain. Like this is, this, this does nothing to glorify God. God would not want her to take her own life, to commit suicide. It's complete waste. To, it's, it's a total, total, total waste. Um, and the fact that she's saying that in Welsh, which is, you know, what um, she was talking to the devil in, I think yep. beautifully connects. Yes. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna say the theming works. I would say almost everything works. The acting is phenomenal. The theming works. The runtime. The runtime, I think, works for it. The, really, the only thing that I would, I would add is showing more kind of uh, scenes of her like flagellation, if that's what we're, they're going for. Yeah, which I think they are. Um, but you know, other than that, I thought it was it walked a real tightrope because. Um, possession films, films of the devil generally don't interest me, um, mainly because I think they get a little too over the top and too silly and they get a little too concrete about, you know, what possession means and looks like and what is the devil acting and what isn't too commercial, too commercial. Yeah. That that's it. I recently, um, I recently watched, uh, I'm sorry. What was it? The conjuring part three, uh, the devil made me do it, which is all of those things. It suffers all (laughs) of those sins. Um, so this was really refreshing as a way to do like a possession devil story in a really tasteful, uh, subtle way. Um, I, I was about to correct myself and say that The Conjuring is, a, is an example of supernatural horror in a commercial way that I I am a fan of. I think I well, OK, to be clear, I do like Conjuring part one and part two. Have you seen part three? 
I have not, and I don't want to. Very weak. Uh, it was a different director, and you can you okay. can definitely tell. But that, I, I think almost everything works. The only thing that maybe doesn't work that I would kind of add is um, uh, what I what I kind of just said. Uh, maybe add like a seam of self-flagellation. Maybe just add a little bit um, that kind of shows uh, kind of the things they're hinting at. But again, mm-hmm. without it, I, it's it, this is still very much like an A A minus movie. And, I, and I'm okay with them. I, I think it, it, it couldn't hurt to have it, but I'm also okay with them not having more of showing more of that. Yeah. Um, I like it making you wonder, you know, what else has she done? Um, I, I echo everything you said about what works. I mean, including the runtime. I just think this is a good movie about a good horror movie about faith. Um, you know, I, I don't, you know, I like a movie that has a really depressing, uh, message and really isn't happy in the slightest you know i enjoy those types of movies sometimes and this is one of them i mean there's like you said it's about waste it's about wasted potential it's about a waste of one of god's children um it's it's just a it's really depressing in that way um but it's a it's really well done well Um, and too i i kind of like the idea i i like um when films and stories explore um competing ways to kind of handle um like big life situations. And what I mean by that is like Maud had this very horrible thing happen at work and her life could have kind of gone one of two ways. Um, she could have like really devoted herself to, and I mean, she kind of almost does the right thing. She could have really devoted herself to like faith and helping others um, in a way that was productive and and kind of was beneficial. But this story and the, this shows like, what if all of that went kind of all wrong? Yeah. Um, the, in terms of what doesn't work, I only really have that. I didn't like the voiceover in the second half of the movie kind of after she snaps, so to speak. First of all, I think, I, I think the, the voiceover is actually, I usually don't like it. Anytime I hear voiceover, I, I, my, my initial reaction is, uh, okay, well, I hope this is good. And sometimes it is, it's, it's not, it's not like something I always hate and I don't mind it at all in the first half of the movie. And I think it can even be a little bit helpful in getting kind of that inner monologue going, but I didn't like it in the second half. And I didn't think to write down any of the lines that I particularly, particularly didn't like, but I want to not know what's in her head. I think it does enough. I, it works for me and I don't usually like voiceover either. I think it works for me because uh, it, it's able to right when the movie needs it either make Maud more or less sympathetic uh it does it early to make her less sympathetic by having her really judgmental thoughts about people kind Mm -hmm. of be first and forefront but then later in the film it brings you back on her side by showing how kind of unhinged and vulnerable she's becoming um i i i don't think you could have the movie without it in a way I, I I disagree. I I mean, I'm not saying get rid of it entirely. I just, I think at a certain point it should drop off uh, <coughs> completely. Um, but, but I guess I also think that if you didn't have it, I don't think the movie is necessarily weaker. Are we fighting now? We've, I don't think we've ever disagreed more. Um... We're no, this is a two-part question, or no, not, no, we're not fighting. 
and, I don't uh, think I really I think don't we think we disagreed this much. But you, I, but I, I'm not getting the sense from you that you're super passionate about the voiceover. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's something that we could fight about because you don't seem to be totally in its camp. You know what? I, I'm going to say we, we disagree more than we ever have, but I'm going to say my disagreements this episode have been the least passionate I've ever, I've ever had. Oh. Would you say that's true? I would say that's pretty accurate. I uh, haven't gone on any unhinged rants. Um, I've just very pointedly stated my, uh, my disagreements. Okay. Okay. I mean, maybe, I don't know if I even expressed it, but when we did Wario Land, I don't think I think Wario Land 3 is terrible like you did. So maybe that's a disagreement. That seems like a bigger gap in our opinions than this does, but I don't, I, maybe, yeah, maybe not. I suppose. We but I wasn't, I wasn't passionately defending it either because I acknowledge it's many, many flaws. But anyway, um, so yeah, that was that St. Maud. That was old St. Maud. That was old St. Maud. Um, well, I know what she's been up to. She's been like a pile of ashes yeah. for a while. She's probably burning in hell too. I, I would think. say so. Um, but what have you been doing? Besides uh, listening to the soundtrack to Bo Burnham's special over and over and over again? Uh, yeah. Uh, I've been playing a lot of Binding of Isaac, Aaron. Quite a lot. I made it a goal to pick back up near automata and i did not do it i just played binding of isaac over and over um i did re-watch a bunch of random movies let me list them off for you um you would agree that it is random um here we go uh rush hour rat race remember rat race <laughs> Uh, I do. I do. Um, Mr. Beans in Rat Race. He sure is. Uh, that movie sucks. Um, Airplane. Oh. Uh, and Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Okay. My favorite of the Harry Potter books. Uh, great book. Uh, boring movie. I, I, the movies are bad. Overall, I think. I, I just don't care about them. I just, I've never got behind the way that most of the directors most of the movies choose to like kind of portray Hogwarts and I, I think the first two capture the magic I felt when first reading the books obviously not everything stays as happy um, well we're going to disagree because the second one sucks I love the book well, hate the movie Chris Columbus can take a bullet to the brain I've, I've heard I've heard that uh, opinion before too and I'm not going to say I disagree with you I just think that the book that Chris Columbus does something in the first two that the others don't have and don't do because they're younger and, you know, things, things get more mature and the stakes get higher and such. But I, I like the, I like more of the vibe of two because it carry it's, it's the same as one. And I think it's, again, it's just because of how they mirror how I felt while reading them for the first time. I you know what I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to say, I hope Chris Columbus kids are found beheaded <laughs> I, in a ditch. I, I'm not, uh, Hmm. Got to choose my words carefully. I'm not disagreeing with you on this. Uh, not saying that I advocate for his kids dying. I hope but... if he has grandchildren, St. Maud sets them on fire and drags them. To hell. <laughs> well, um, let, let me, let, let's just say that if the if I was in the room with Chris Columbus's kids and an executioner with a giant knife ready to behead them, I wouldn't necessarily stop the beheading. 
perfect. Is that how, how about that? Um, and then, I mean, we, could, we don't have to talk about this too much at length. Just third one is good. I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to compare them to the, to the books, by the way, I'm talking about them as like movie going experiences. Right. Yeah. Uh, third is good Four is weird. It, it's, it's almost like so, so bad that it's in, very entertaining. I think yeah. five and six are terrible uh and seven part one surprised me uh it's probably my second favorite of all of them if not my favorite um even though and then in part two deadly hell is part two i loathe um i i can't even begin to address any of those right now we're gonna have a we're gonna have a harry <laughs> potter episode one day i mean the fan fiction alone um we're we're gonna have a harry potter episode someday i i can't even I can't even begin to take you to task for all those opinions. Um, <laughs> well, the thing is, but when people try to take me to task for those opinions, they automatically bring up the books. And I'm, I preface by saying, I'm not I, talking I, about the even, books. I, even then I, anytime I, I said a positive My blood thing, is boiling. My blood is boiling. We're, we're moving on. We're, we're anytime moving on. Anytime I we're say something on. positive about Goblet of Fire, the first person, the movie, people are just like, it's the worst adaptation. We, I'm like, I don't care. I, dis- I disagree, but we're moving. You know, we'll agree on that because I don't think it's we should. We should have a just the Harry Potter movies episode and we should just yell at each other the whole time. I, I would love that. And, we could just do, we could just do like, we could, it could be like, um, like, you know how people have chess timers? Yeah, yeah we could we could each get two minutes yeah. per per movie to just go at each other we we should and but the thing is i'm gonna have to almost feign a little bit of passion in my opinions though like i say this now but i might be convinced otherwise and and ultimately i also might run away from a fight because ultimately my my strongest opinion is that the harry potter movies are bad and a waste of my time overall and I, um, if I never saw another one for the rest of my life, I would not care. You know, ultimately, when we get big picture, I'm going to agree with you. I, I had a feeling you would. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. if you want to dissect them, there could, we could have some fun in that because it's yeah. very fluctuating. But I, I rewatched Half-Blood Prince because it's the first time I... It's the one I've seen the least amount of times other than Deathly Hallows Part 2, which I never want to see again. Um and I was like, I got to remind myself and see if this one is just, if this was an okay movie. And it's not. With the exception of, I think Jim Broadbent is very well cast as Slughorn. Not saying he, that, you know, that what they do with Slughorn, what they what they do and do not do with Slughorn in the movie is good. I just think he's really well cast. Yeah, I, he's great. Um, but, okay. Anyway, we're, sorry, we, we, what, have you, what have you been up to besides uh, huh. having... Bo- uh, boiling blood you know i have actually genetically it's a quirk i have very low blood pressure so oh uh, it it's, takes a it's, lot it's your my hero academia quirk it actually is like i have very low blood it's from my dad's side of the family my dad has like blood pressure so low that like he has to the doctor is like it's it's too low it's it's bad to be high but you're too low um so that's that's my quirk i will put blood pressure so uh i won't be dying of a heart attack or a stroke right. i guess but um, I, uh, I beat Monster Hunter Stories uh, oh, on 3DS congrats. in preparation for Stories 2, which is fast approaching. Um, and then I played to completion uh, Metopia, which I feel uh, sad to confess. The game to completion or you? The game, the game okay. Metopia, the remake for Switch. I played it to completion. Okay. 
Um, I also have gotten back into Bravely Default 2 because I've been playing my Switch uh, in bed more. Um, and I got Disgaea 6, which I have some very mixed feelings about. It does a lot of things I like. It does some things I don't like. And some of the things I like are becoming things I don't like. And, and as I recall in the, or the brief discussion we had via text about it is that you don't it's not like you're holding this game up to a specific standard though right you're like you're there you're no. there to have some fun and you're not yeah you're not so too much if it's bad Perfect. so like the the what I, what I love about the game is that um it just it automatizes so much of playing it to the point where like really it's almost like you check in see how your little troops are doing from all mm -hmm. the auto battling you've had them do and then have them auto battle through a story uh, fight and then like tinker with their abilities and level them up and send them to auto battle again. Okay. But it's really, it's, it's like an RPG where you really don't have to do anything besides macro manage if you don't want to. Um, which I, again, I have mixed feelings about, like I, I like that, but at the same time you can easily like blow through uh the story battles because you're so over leveled but then it's like well, where does the challenge of this game comes in oh it's in the crazy disgaea post game that lasts 300 hours where people get to level 9,999 <laughs> and i'm also not super thrilled about that um so we'll see as i play it more if the difficulty curve catches up with me hmm. oh um you bring up bravely default to maybe forget that I, I also have been trying to chip away at final fantasy eight forgot if i mentioned that last time i i had i abandoned it about halfway through the game uh over a year ago before the pandemic and now i'm i'm just like well i gotta finish it but then i got back into isaac and then it's just i'm gonna i'm gonna well I'm gonna yeah beat i need to beat eight but you you must know as i might have mentioned last time that i just i just don't care about the story or characters in that game well, the, I'm the, playing um, just to get through it. The gameplay makes it really hard too, because especially for this uh, Switch remake, um, like that game, you can't auto battle through as much because you have to do the stupid um, like stock magic thing. Yes, um, which makes it annoying. Like seven or nine, you can play through pretty easily because you can speed things up uh, and make things go a lot faster. Mm -hmm. Eight, uh, eight, the that magic thing is really. Uh, looking back problematic I had I agree although before, I did a lot of groundwork before I start like very early in the game I did the kind of things that would help I invested the time to help break the game a little bit um, it's not totally broken um, but I'm going through it faster because I don't remember how I did it but I have a lot of good I mean I did play a lot of cards I guess but I have a lot of high levels um, or like a lot of cards, like very good cards. And also for some reason, Squall is like love, almost level 100 right now. Whereas I have some characters that are level 20. I'm not sure how that happens. Interesting. Yeah. Weird. But enough about that. Anyway. Um, okay, we, bye. We don't know what we're doing next week. Uh, we'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll you'll, figure it out. You'll hear it. It's fine. Yeah, you'll listen, you yeah. suckers. <laughs>